All right, Are we good? So I want to feedback. Um, I'm really hoping that the lack of finding resources isn't as a result of me not looking hard enough. So <laughs> please don't hold that against me. Um, and I do want to clarify that if you're looking for resources on just finances in general, money in general, there's lots of really great ones. Particularly the one that just stands out that's a simple read is Randy Alcorn's The Treasure Principle. It's a fantastic book on money and finances and things like that. Um, doesn't address gambling. Um, and I think there's a reason why Christians often are a little scary to go on record when it comes to gambling, and it's because it's a complicated issue. Um, but it's one that I think is really, really, really important. Um, you turn on your TV today to watch the Eagles. Hopefully, you know, you're not too distracted by that comment um, because it's happening right now and my prayers are for them. Um, you turn on to watch the Eagles and almost every single commercial break, there is a gambling advertisement. I turned on the radio and as they're breaking down the games, as I'm driving around, kind of, I'm hearing the, the first thing they're talking about is the over-under mark of the game. Prop bets, different things. This is the topic of conversation. You drive down the street, and even the billboards are constantly, you know, changing and changing. And one of them is going to be a gambling ad. They're everywhere. They're on your social media. Um, and I am no expert when it comes to gambling, but my phone seems to think that I am now because for the last few months I've been just researching gambling and now all my algorithms think that like I'm a chronic gambler. And it's like all the ads on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, it's like they're all gambling specific. Um, I'm actually no expert at gambling. I've never formally uh, gambled myself. I have uh, certainly participated in the odd poker game. Uh, or March Madness pools, uh, you know, not necessarily very well. Um, so I, I come at this not necessarily as someone that is, is an expert in the field or someone who is uh, really good at gambling, uh, but as someone who's really concerned that we're in the midst of being attacked by a very aggressive industry and that I'm watching... Many Christians participate in gambling without having truly thought deeply about it. I've actually interacted with um, a few people that I know well, who I know have gambled um, and have used apps on their phone in particular um, to wager on sports games, that kind of thing. Perhaps enjoyed the odd casino or two. Um, and as I've drawn them out, like, what have you read in God's Word what have you read in terms of resources that's really informed, like, what you're doing? I get blank stares. Um, at least that's been my experience thus far. And it's part of the reason why, as I was talking with Rob and Jared, I was saying, we need, we need to think about this topic. And so tonight is aimed at getting all of us to think deeply about gambling and the call of a Christian. We're basically asking, is this an area of Christian liberty? where uh, Christians should refrain from judging one another based on their conscience as to whether they should participate or not? Or is it gambling at odds with the Bible, right? These are very important questions that we have to wrestle with. Um, and so I'm not going to be able to address every single gambling scenario tonight, 
and the industry is complicated. There's a lot of different kinds of gambling out there. Uh, but there are four particular people that are on my heart tonight, four kinds of people. Maybe you're here and you're one of these, or maybe you're listening to this later and you're one of these people. The first person is someone who just gambles for personal enjoyment. Um, they never gamble more than they can afford. Uh, they just spend an, a modest amount for fun, and perhaps they mostly gamble from their phone. And they're even good at it. And maybe they were given a free promotion to get involved, and they're still on the positive side of the ledger. The second person is someone who really likes casinos. Um, how do you go to Vegas or AC without going to the casinos and have fun? That kind of person. What's the harm in a little bit of money wagered if I know I'm going to lose it? I kind of set aside a couple hundred bucks that I know I'm going to lose. How's that different than going to a concert? The third person I have in mind is somebody that knows they have a gambling problem. So you're coming tonight, you're listening tonight, and you're, you're just aware that there's a battle taking place and you need help. And then the fourth person is someone who's concerned because someone else is gambling in your life. And you want to have some of the biblical principles in mind to be able to have conversations with them and help them to think through these matters as well. And my hope is that all four of those people will be served by us looking at the scriptures together. Um, before we jump into the scriptures, your outline is in front of you, and you can see we don't start with the scriptures. We start with what is gambling, and then kind of what's happening in the gambling world right now. I do that because I think it's really important that we, we know what we're talking about before we go to the scriptures to see how it addresses it, right? So I want to define it first. And to do that, I have a definition on your handouts that actually comes from uh, legal uh, writings. So what is gambling legally? A person, and it's on your outline, a person engages in gambling if he stakes or risks something of value upon the outcome of a contest of chance or a future contingent event not under his control or influence, upon an agreement or understanding that he or someone else will receive something of value in the event of a certain outcome. So one key part of that definition is that gambling involves stakes. And stakes are belongings or money that someone else risks that you all risk together, and based on the outcome of some type of chance event or an event you don't control yourself, all the combined stakes that you have wagered go to the winner. And so a key defining quality of gambling is that the winner gets their money or their winnings from the loss of other people. So the profit uh, that you are earning is coming at the loss of other people. That's key in kind of understanding what gambling is. One person uh, framed it this way also on your outline. To gamble is to play a game of chance for stakes, and a stake is a prize that is obtained at another gambler's expense, right? So that's, that's, that's pretty key. Also notice that gambling is defined as a playing a game of chance or betting on an event you can't control. So engaging in a sports competition like golf where the winner of the game takes everybody out for lunch is different because you're actually involved in that event and determining the outcome of, of the event based on your skill of play. It's not based on chance like a game of poker would be with the kind of cards you get and the odds of the cards. 
Um, so uh, the tonight's lecture is not designed to address every single scenario out there. It's really looking at these games of chance and betting on events that you can't control. But many of the biblical principles that we'll look at will also apply to things like that. And you'll have to have wisdom as you're, you're thinking through those categories as well. All right, now that we have gambling defined, um, let's take a look at kind of what is gambling? How has it evolved? How have we arrived to the moment that we're in today where these ads are coming at us? The story of, the, of gambling in the United States is a bit like when you take a soda and you shake it up on a hot day. And the pressure builds, and all of a sudden, what does the cap do? It just explodes, right? It flies off the bottle. There have been many attempts from the government to limit the growth of gambling. But like an unstoppable oncoming train, it's blown through like every single obstacle that's been put in its place. You have a, a graph on your handout, and you'll see as you look at that graph that as you get to around 1970 or so, all of a sudden there's a skyrocket in the amount of gambling that is taking place. Now, maybe like me, you, you look at this graph and you say, I've seen a bit of Western movies where people are playing poker and, like, losing their life savings. Like, and I, so, like, I know gambling was happening before 1970. What, what's going on? Well, the reality is that gambling was present far, longer, well, far long before this. It just wasn't legal, right? It was all happening in underground, untracked circles. So there's been two primary limiting factors to at least our knowledge of how much gambling has taken place. And that first one is legality, right? So as it's become increasingly legal, it's become increasingly present and visible. The second limiting factor has been taxation. So the other, the other way that gambling is limited is by things being heavily taxed and, uh, and therefore gambling being driven to places like AC, or to Vegas, or to certain spots where it's, you can get a better deal in the gambling industry. So let's just track some of the legal changes that have taken place um, so we can see why like, it feels like gambling's more in our world now than it was, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So first, uh, gambling was um, legalized in more and more states. In 1996, a WHYY article said that two decades ago, Two states had legal gambling, and 48 states outlawed it. And today, that was in 1996, 48 states have some form of legal gambling, and only Hawaii and Utah do not. So you see a massive flip in 10 years that took place. This led to a crazy expansion of the amount of casinos that had been built, and some in our neck of the woods. For a long time, Nevada and New Jersey were the only states that allowed casinos, um, many states legalized lotteries long before casinos, um, but with the legalization of casinos in more states, the amount exploded to over 500 different casinos in non-tribal locations. Um, and that led to lower revenue for AC, um, and a lot of people being upset <laughs> in AC. Um, but the, and then the online aspect of gambling has now made casinos and lotteries a little bit less of a target now. So it's actually flatlined in the amount of casinos that exist because there's a pivot taking place from physical to online as the target. So that's the next thing that started to happen. In the 1990s, online gambling began small in the U.S., but it's ballooned to become a global industry now. 
in 2018, just a few years ago, the Supreme Court struck down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, and 21 states made sports betting legal. Um, 31 currently allow it. It's now legal in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland for those over 21. And Delaware only allows in-person sports betting. So it goes kind of state by state. All this kind of builds to help us see that we're in a particular moment where gambling is breaking into our world because of how the legal limits have been reduced. Al Mohler remarked on this, the incredible booming nature of uh, spending in an article in 2012. He said this, According to some estimates, as much as one-third of the nation's money supply now moves through the gambling industry each year. One-third. Looking at a recent annual economic report, management consultant Eugene M. Christensen determined that Americans spend more on gambling than they did on health insurance, dentists, shoes, foreign travel, or household appliances. And he said that back in 2012, before sports betting was becoming legal. If you look at this next graph, you'll see how the figure of the amounts of money that's being spent in uh, gambling is skyrocketing. So the total spent on gambling in 2021 was $147 billion. The gross amount in 2022 was $60.42 billion. And you can see the graphs go from 29.98 in 2020 to 52.99 in 2021 to 60.42. I think it's a little bit kind of um, the the, uh, X and Y axis didn't really come out on that. But on the the Y axis, it's gross gaming revenue in billions of U.S. dollars. And the X axis is just the the years of 2020, uh, 2021 and 2022. So you can see we're headed up. Do you see that? It's in billions as well. So this is massive amounts of revenue increasing in our nation. And so then the total spent, not the gross, but the total spent on gambling in 2021 was $147 billion. Okay? This is 7% of the total market, up from 5% from the previous year. And the graph on the next page, again, maybe didn't come out super well, um, so that shows you that the whole pie chart is $147 billion that they spent on gambling. And then the largest um, percentages of that gambling came in tribal casinos with 20% of the gambling happening at tribal casinos, 31% happening at commercial casinos, and then all the other, sm- uh, the other biggest one was lotteries at 25%. You can see, interestingly, even though like maybe in our world, people are most likely betting online, the biggest bettors are still going to the physical locations, right? It hasn't quite become normalized to be doing your phone, using your phone to make massive wagers like it has in other parts of the world. The UK has established online gambling a long time before this. I don't know if you guys are aware of that or not, but 60% of gambling in the UK, according to statistics that I was looking at, happened online because it's been around a lot more. It takes a while for the industry to shift. So likely what we're going to see is not only people using casinos and lotteries to pour out their money, but also increasingly online gambling. So that's kind of like explaining a little bit why maybe you're feeling like 
gambling's more and more in your life and more and more on your television and not just in the seedy sections of your life, right? It's, it's, not, even, it's not on just like adult sort of um, television things. It's on like family programs. It's just a part of our world because it's such a revenue driver for our world. So next point in your outline is the nature of the gambling industry. And my goal here is to, is to just show you that as much as the gambling industry may seem like large-hearted at times, benefiting older Pennsylvanians, right? Like the lottery says it does, right? Underneath the mechanisms behind the games of gambling is a willful and knowledgeable intention to addict those who participate in it. I'm going to show you a little bit how the gambling industry's nature has evolved. In 1887, the first slot machine was invented. And then they've slowly been adapted from that point to maximize their addictiveness. They began by only allowing a winning percentage of 3%. So you rarely would get the win, right? And then when you did win, it'd be like the coins flying out of there, right? Like the classic, you know, bit on an old movie. But they moved and changed the the slot machines because they found that not having enough payouts didn't hook people as much. So they, they've moved it now so that 40%, 45% of the time you win a small payout. This hooks people way more because they get that dopamine hit of I won something. Then they began to learn that adding bonuses and mini games based on your performance helped people feel like they were in control and that they were good at gambling. And so they started to have like, oh, you've gambled this long, you get this mini game bonus round. Designing these games to just hook you in more and more. The goal, again, is... Keep them playing. Keep them playing because that will be more and more money in the long run. Um, All this made slot machines playing the bread and butter of casinos. Um, That's why when you get off a plane in Vegas, there's casinos in the airport, right? Because that's their biggest moneymaker in the place. Um, There are more slot machines in more states and countries than ever before because they make such money. And now, this is relatively new, Um, casinos now have gamer profiles for specific players. You get a card that you use and you, you swipe the thing and it remembers what you bet last time. Why is that? Well, it can be like, hello, Derek, or whatever your name is. And you can feel like, oh, like it gets me, right? Kind of like we feel when there's an ad that's what we need, but then it's also creepy because it knows the thing that we were just talking about, right? That thing. That's happening with gaming. And you know what they do is they track when you stop playing. And they send an incentive right before you would typically stop playing. A free hotel room. An extra round. And they start trying to find what is the perfect formula to keep you going. To keep you going. It's deeply problematic. If you haven't seen The Social Dilemma, it's a Netflix documentary. I encourage you to watch it. Like any documentary, it's not perfect. Um, and it has a slate and a narrative. You have to use, watch it with, with, um, with discernment. But it's, it's really thought-provoking because it takes you behind the people that invented things like Facebook 
and Twitter and Instagram and showed like how they were trying to like hook the people with the algorithms that they were creating and how many of the people that started those things were like, we shouldn't be doing this anymore and got out of the industry. Many of the game designers that are behind the apps that we have a hard time being addicted to actually have been learning how to make their games from casino owners. They've brought in slot machine makers to help them know how to design their games in the most interactive way, which is the, 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 the um, sanitized way, the interactive way, engaging way. It's a sanitized way of saying addicting way, right? So there's this interaction taking place in these industries because they're both after the same thing. Keep them going. Keep them scrolling. Keep them playing. Social media and phone gaming companies have brought each other in to learn from each other. And these game designers, the, the game designers have even learned from these, these slot machine uh, makers that no longer should you make video games with big bosses where there's just one big goal to overcome. Because then the game's done. Why would you keep playing it? Instead, have lots of many little challenges that seemingly never end in sort of an open world format so that you just keep playing and keep engaging and lose track of time. And actually, the, uh, what they've, they've identified is that psychologists have looked at the effect that, uh, that slot machines have on people, and they've identified it as a specific psychological state known as the Luddick loop. This is de- defined as a mindless state of repetition, and it becomes the most comfortable state for your brain to be in, especially to cope with significant struggles. So in continuing to play and continuing to play, a lot of times chronic gamblers who play slot machines will call it being in the zone where they're no longer thinking and they're just sort of free and they're just kind of in that mode of playing. The games are actually designed to induce that cognitive state of this Luddic loop where a person is unconsciously playing and not making the decisions anymore. And that particularly actually targets those who are struggling with trauma and grief in their life and trying to escape by anything that will numb them from the pain. I read many articles of people being interviewed at casinos who just said, I gamble because it's like how I forget. It's absolutely tragic. So understanding this about the gambling industry is really important when considering if gambling is a good thing for us to participate in. When you choose to place a wager in the gambling industry, You are participating in this industry that is built around exploiting addictive tendencies. Another thing about gambling is that there's an interaction between different kinds of addiction in gambling. I'm hoping that you're already feeling a little bit of distaste towards participating in gambling, but in case you need more incentives... Gambling is kind of a link to some other problematic addictions. Um, The same behavior behind gambling tends to function in even more deathly addictions like substance abuse. Um, And gambling addictive behavior is rarely isolated. One of my friends, I was just talking to them one day, and they started talking to me about the line on a football game that was later that day. They're like, I know that they're going to win. It's it's like easy money. It's like they're giving me money but I know where that money will go. That's how it always starts. I get money, and then I use that money on drugs. 
gambling winnings become easy, untraceable money to be spent on other addictions that oftentimes circumvents the support structures and the checks and balances over people that are really struggling in their lives. So all this kind of points us to seeing the injustice of the gambling industry and the way it's targeting the weak and exploiting those who are easily addicted. And I found it absolutely fascinating to see that Malcolm X, actually, in his fascinating and grisly autobiography that I cannot recommend to you, although it is really interesting to learn about such an enigmatic figure, um, he actually talked about how the lottery system in Harlem destroyed the neighborhood that he was a part of as a young man. This is what he said. It's on your outline if you want to read along with me. It's on the next page. Malcolm says, Every day I would gamble all of my tips. He was like a a server at, at the time. As high as 15 and $20 on the numbers. And dream of what I would do when I hit. I saw people on their long, wild spending sprees after big hits. I don't mean just hustlers who always had some money. I mean ordinary working people, the kind that we otherwise almost never saw in a bar like Smalls. That's where he, he worked. Who, with a good enough hit, had quit their jobs working somewhere downtown for the white man. Often they had bought a Cadillac, and sometimes for three and four days, they were setting up drinks and buying steaks for all their friends. I would have to pull two tables together into one, and they would be throwing me two and three dollar tips every time I came with my tray. Hundreds of thousands of New York City Negroes every day by Sunday would pay from a penny on up to large sums on three-digit numbers, with the odds at 600 to 1. And those are actually good odds compared to the ones that we have now, which are in the thousands. A penny hit won $6, a dollar won 600 and so on. On $15, a hit would mean $9,000, which was a lot of money back then. Famous hits like that had bought controlling interests in lots of Harlem's bars and restaurants, or even bought some of them outright. The chances of hitting were a 1,000 to 1. Practically everyone played every day in the poverty-ridden black ghetto of Harlem. Every day, someone you knew was likely to hit. And of course, it was neighborhood news. If big enough a hit, neighborhood excitement. Hits generally were small, a nickel, dime, or a quarter. Most people tried to play a dollar a day. Harlem's numbers industry hummed every morning and into the early afternoon with the runners jotting down people's bets on slips of paper in apartments, house, apartment house hallways, bars, barbershops, stores on the sidewalks. The cops looked on. No runner lasted long who didn't out of his pocket put in a free figure for his working area's foot cops. And it was generally known that the number bankers paid off at higher levels of the police department. The daily small army of runners each got 10% of the money they turned in, along with the bet slips to their controllers. And if you hit, you gave the runner a 10% tip. A controller might have as many as 50 runners working for him, and the controller got 5% of what he turned over to the banker who paid off the hit, paid off the police, and got rich off the balance. Millions of dollars would be bet by my poor, foolish black brothers and sisters upon, say, whatever happens to be the number of this page or whatever is the total of the whole book's pages. What he saw in his brothers and sisters crippling them into poverty while certain overlords pocketed really most of the money and and the corrupt police officers profited from it is honestly still occurring in many of the gambling circles today. 
the same organized crime is often behind the scenes of these types of interactions. Gambling continues to make a disproportionate impact upon poor people. In many ways, this is because they are always gambling money they can't afford to lose. Wealthier people who have access to a large income can quickly overcome the loss of liquid assets. But the poor instead are forced to increase their credit card debt to increase their gambling. And so they're, they're stuck when they, they have a downturn. Whereas someone who's got cash coming in doesn't have that. There was a very important study in 2012 by the University of Buffalo Clinic and Research Institute on addictions um, that it, it, it analyzed the effect of casinos on disadvantaged communities. And this is what they found. Living within 10 miles or less of a casino doubles the risk of problem gambling. Likewise, individuals living in a disadvantaged neighborhood have a 90% increase in the odds of being a problem or pathological gambler. So those people who live in the disadvantaged communities that casinos get put into then are most likely to be the kind of community that would be exploited by a casino. Why is that? Why is it that poor people tend to be so disproportionately impacted by casinos? Well, partially because they keep getting them put in their neighborhoods because poor people don't have as much power in their communities to keep them out. But partially, this is also because many of them are in hopeless situations. They're desperate. John Piper writes this. The number one reason why people in such seemingly hopeless situations purchase scratch-offs, that's for the lottery, is because things already look so hopeless for improvement that so-called stupidity of wasting this dollar won't really make anything worse. So why not try? That's, I think, basically the mindset that drives most of the purchases, a sense of hopelessness. It's not going to make things worse because there's no hope that they could get better. And when you already feel hopeless then arguments against gambling lose most of their force. So by putting in these types of things, by having lotteries most advertised and casinos most pre- predominantly present in these communities, well, yes, the uh, casinos and the lotteries are making a lot of money. But, but they're also targeting the weakest and most easily exploited. There's also a, um, a governmental aspect a negative impact that gambling has on our government that I hadn't thought of prior to looking into this, but Richard Newhouse makes this statement about the checks and balances on the government's control that limitation of taxation has. By limiting the amount the government can tax us, it limits the amount of money they have then to just spend as they would want to. And allowing uh, governments to put casinos in and to tax those casinos for state revenue then allows the states to have way more money than they would just by taxing the people directly. This is what he says. In a democracy, the need for popular consent to tax is a powerful check on government growth and irresponsibility. A government that can raise money by encouraging and exploiting the weaknesses of its citizens escapes that democratic mechanism of accountability. As important, state-sponsored gambling undercuts the civic virtue upon which democratic governance depends. Many of the casinos that exist now are state-sponsored and taxed by the state. And the reason why many of the governors love putting casinos in is because it helps their budget 
It gets them out of trouble. It makes their numbers look great next time election season comes around. So it's really important to think about how all these things come together, right? The nature of the gambling industry, the way it intersects with addiction, the way it connects with um, the disadvantagement of the poor, the way that it even infects our government's checks and balances. Because I think we're now ready to look at what does God's word say, okay? We kind of know what we're talking about here. Um, and so I want to, even as we turn to this, the, the, our next section, which is the Bible and Christian's use of money, I want to again remind you that Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, is great, and we'll have lots of application to this. also want to um, have a, 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 a uh, uh, what's the right word? A shameless plug. Um, recently, Brendan Willis, um, Kyle Hooten, and myself, along with Mark Prater, we wrote a book called um, Joyful Generosity, What the Bible Teaches About Giving. It's about generosity in particular, but it walks from Genesis to Revelation and shows you kind of what God's heart for us is in giving and how it's not altruistic. It's actually self-beneficial. God wants to increase our joy through giving. It's also another great resource that'll be coming out actually in the next two weeks. Uh, Jared was just telling me today that there's a printing thing they got to fix, but it's coming out. So be looking for that if you're looking for resources. All right, so let's look at some principles. First principle, you with me? Yep. All right. First, all of our money is God's money. Okay? That's first foundational principle. We're talking about money. It's God's money. After David and the people gave lavishly with willing joy toward the future building of the temple Solomon would build, David declared, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. All things come from you, right? All the money that we have comes from the Lord. And all of it is to be used for his glory. And so we have to be careful that we're not falling into the 90% is mine and 10% is God's mentality. It's great to tithe. I hope we tithe, right? But mentally, we need to think of everything that we own as the Lord's. We steward the money that we've been given by God. So can someone engage in gambling for the glory of God? I'll let you, I'll let you guys think about it. Can someone engage in gambling for the glory of God? Think about this. Just to think about it, I'm not making statements. Half of the world lives on $2.50 a day. And so we have to think hard about the money that we have been given. How are we stewarding it? How are we using it? Are we living lavishly, right? Those kind of questions. And is gambling perhaps just a sign of that, an indicator? We have a limited amount of money that we will earn this side of heaven, right? It's a set amount that the Lord knows. He wants us to look at that and see how can I leverage that best for his glory so that like the guy whose talents were multiplied, right? You know, he'll look at us and say, well done. Second principle, we must love our neighbor as ourself. What does that have to do with money? Well, it has a lot to do with money, actually. God's word is emphatic in its emphasis that we must love our neighbor, and our neighbor is every human, right? We are required to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we cannot love the Lord without also loving our neighbors in this way. Jesus says this in Matthew 22 um, when he's talking to the Pharisees. 
When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So consider the, the nature of the gambling industry. It targets the easily addicted, exploits the poor, and removes the checks and balances on the government. Can we honestly say that we are fulfilling the royal law of love if we gamble? Three, generosity is the expectation of every believer, not just the super rich. We're made in God's image to reflect God's character. And generosity is one way we do that. Thus, the Bible calls us throughout its pages to excel in generosity. Israel was commanded to care for the poor and needy and give a tithe and other offerings in response to God for his deliverance. And they were promised that God would always give them what they needed, right? And he even put them in a land that was flowing with milk and honey and not rivers. That means that they were, he had to depend on the bees for the honey and things. They had to have like the milk from the, the, the goats, They didn't have the Nile to depend upon. Droughts come, famines come, and they're done. Because God wanted them to be there so that they could continue to be generous and lean on him for all of their provision. And so generosity continues to mark the early church, doesn't it? Barnabas gives away, right? Plot of land. People are giving extraordinary. The Macedonians are these rock stars of generosity. They're in affliction and in poverty. And they're still giving more than the church in Corinth. And Paul's like, Corinthians, like, are you looking what's happening here, right? And that's not just the expectation of the Macedonians. Paul wants that for all of us. And so, if you have discretionary income that you really aren't hurt to lose in gambling, have you considered the call to generosity? Are you excited by the call to generosity like a good line, more than a good line? God wants us to be more excited about giving opportunities than a great opportunity to gamble. Next principle, possessions are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Uh, uh, lest I be, uh, uh, I be charged as committing a heresy tonight of being an ascetic, somebody who says you can't enjoy anything, let me cover my bases. Don't get me wrong, I've thus far been striking a ringing note, I hope, that, that challenges some of the careless instincts that we can have sometimes with money, particularly in gambling. But much of what I've been saying about these biblical principles, right, can be not just applied to gambling, but really a wide variety of entertainment. We agree with that? God's word does not forbid us from enjoying his gracious provision. In fact, strict asceticism is a false teaching that Paul addresses in writing to Timothy. It's there on your outline. He says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Don't want to do that. Don't devote yourselves to teachings of demons. And what do they do? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and required abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 
for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So the rule of thumb that Paul is giving to Timothy here is things that are not denied in the word of God, that are created goods, we can enjoy as we make them holy but through our relationship with the Lord in prayer, communing with him, listening to how he speaks to our conscience, uh, submitting to the word of God and what it clearly says we should not do. And then we check the response that our heart has to the thing we're enjoying. What is the response? It's thanksgiving. If it is received with thanksgiving, is this causing me to rejoice in God more as I engage engage with this created good? If not, it's likely becoming an idol. Particularly, we have to qualify that, right? Because he does say it's made pure by the word. We can't be thankful for sin. (laughs) Just so thankful for this sin. You can't do that. That's just throwing it in God's face, right? That's not thankfulness to him. Paul's after here is that there are certain good things in our lives that can become idols, right? Like like, uh, enjoying certain kinds of foods and things like that. And if we're enjoying them with thanksgiving and it's increasing our love for God, we can know that we're doing the right thing. And if someone says, you shouldn't eat a good steak, you can tell them, I eat that steak to the glory of God, right? <laughs> Is gambling a good thing that God created for us to enjoy with thanksgiving? Answer that question honestly for yourself. Can you gratefully gamble? Does gambling increase your godly joy. I actually tend to think gambling robs us of being able to enjoy God's creation. Recently, I was listening to sports radio, a questionable questionable pastime, I know, um, and a guy actually texted into the radio station asking for counsel on a particular uh, situation. His son was in T-ball, And he was so bored with going to the t-ball games that he and a few of the other dads decided to place some wagers on how many walks and how many runs and different things would take place, which is honestly hilarious. Can we just say that? Yeah, there were, and, and apparently this guy said, I'm so busy. I have no time to watch the game. I'm having a hard time tracking. It's my favorite part of the week. And I'm asking, are there any apps you're aware of that can help me manage this better? I'm making a ton of money. And as funny as that is, I was laughing out loud. That's sad. You have a dad who should be enjoying the gift of his son playing baseball. And t-ball is rough. But still, the joy of enjoying that with his son He no longer even watches the games. His son's not even really a part of why he's there. Many who gamble on sports games find that they no longer care if they don't have something on the game. To feel something, they have to place a bet. That's a tragic sign that you need to get out and stop Because thanksgiving is actually being robbed from your life, not enhanced by the enjoyment of that thing. Principle number five, the danger of greed and addiction. People don't play slots because it's so fun to see like what side they come up. Oh, look at the face, you know, that it came up, right? They don't play, roll the dice because they're like, I wonder if it will be a five. It's a five. Like they they do it because they want to win money. 
right? That's where the rush comes from. You just sit there rolling a dice together, just trying to guess what the next one is, and that's boring. You know, I guess maybe someone likes that, but you probably like are just a weirdo if you like that. But when, man, you win against all odds, the big prize, there's such a surge and a rush of victory and reward. And so the incentive behind gambling is the reward of money. Now, earning money is, is not something that is inherently evil, right? You had payday, cha-ching, that feels good, right? And that's not necessarily wrong. But money is incredibly powerful in its ability to tempt us toward greed. It's actually the topic that Jesus most often addressed in the Gospels. This is one of the things he says in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Paul adds in 1 Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the desire to be rich is addictive in and of itself because of the things that money gets us. It's not like the smell of the cash or just the stack of bills. It's the power and the privilege that the money gives us. And it's been that way no matter what the currency is since the time of Christ, at least. That desire to be rich being addictive in itself needs to kind of check us when we feel the, the surge of, I want that money in gambling. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So when we feel the instincts of greed climbing in our chest, we have to be careful. We have to hear Jesus' words and be like, oh, if he addressed this topic a lot, maybe I need to hear that word from him. And I'm in danger of being lured by the power of money. So each of us needs to consider this in humility. Okay? Even if you don't have a gambling background or whatnot, you haven't lost a lot of money. Are we foolishly flirting? with the love of money and gambling. Ask yourself why you love gambling if you do, do participate in it. Am I motivated by greed? Am I, am I addicted? Am I, am I headed down that path? In our pride, we can think that we're different from the countless others who have fallen to the temptation of greed and gambling addiction. Jesus cares most about our hearts, the why behind what we're doing, but he also cares about the what that we do as well. And honestly, gambling, in most cases, fails on both accounts. Why we're involved and what we're doing 
by being involved in an, an industry like gambling. Fail to please him. Principle number six, gambling is likely an illegitimate way to earn money. And here I'm mostly addressing somebody that is having a pretty significant side hustle through gambling. is getting a decent income from this. Remember our definition of gambling. You got it there back on your outline. A person engages in gambling if he stakes or risks something of value upon the outcome of a contest of chance or a future contingent event not under his control or influence upon an agreement or understanding that he or someone else will receive something of value in the event of a certain outcome. And remember, the issue with gambling beyond its addictive and exploitative nature is that you're gaining wealth from somebody else's loss. You're not generating wealth by work. You are taking wealth from other people. So there's a real risk that we are at to potentially be breaking the Eighth Commandment, which says you shall not steal. Okay? Different people fall in different places on this. I'm not prepared to say everybody who gambles breaks the Eighth Commandment. But somebody that is employed by gambling who is receiving their income at the detriment of other people's loss directly, needs to seriously consider if they are following the command to not steal. There is a sinful way to earn wealth. Uh, there, there is, and that's why that commandment is there. And we tend to kind of like narrow that down to like, I shouldn't te- cheat, uh, cheat on my taxes, right? And I shouldn't like swipe someone's money that's like sitting there on their desk. Right, which is true. Like we shouldn't do that, um, but Christians have expanded that commandment. And Annie did a great job preaching on that in our, our Ten Commandments series, which was, I guess, about a year ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but you can look it up again. He even mentions gambling, I think, in one of his illustrations. Um, so if you go into that, that's a great thing to refresh yourself on. There's a, there's one particular part of the Westminster Larger Catechism, question one forty two where it says, what are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? And there's multiple categories here that could potentially be connected to sports betting or gambling. They don't specifically say those words, but it seems highly relevant. Here's what it says. The sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are theft, robbery, man-stealing, and receiving anything that is stolen, fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man, or matters of trust, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexatious lawsuits, unjust enclosures and depredation, engrossing commodities to enhance the price, unlawful callings, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him, or of enriching ourselves, covetousness, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies and getting, keeping, and using them, envying at the prosperity of others, as likewise idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming, and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our own outward estate and defraud ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God hath given us. There's a lot there. I'm not going to unpack the whole thing. That would be like a different teaching. But I want to just draw your attention to a couple of those 
those clauses that I italicized for you. The first is wealth gained through oppression. Okay? Wealth gained through oppression is what most gambling is because of the way it targets the poor and the marginalized and the addicted. Your money is coming from people who are being oppressed. Second, wasteful gaming. gaming, Excuse me. When we look at our finances, how and why we use them matters a ton to God. So we have to think about the amount of money. I heard on a Ask Pastor John podcast, somebody asking, is it wrong if I like wager $20, $25 a week on football? And they're like, it's really not that much money. And he said, that's so much money. Play that out over a whole year and how much have you spent? Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Sometimes we think week by week. And you think about your spending habits. And we look at the large scale. We have to ask ourselves, are we wastefully using our money? And then finally, particularly talking to those people who are really doing this a lot and earning money off of it. Paul has a particular passage in Ephesians 4, verse 28, that addresses how a thief ought to live once he's saved. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Doing what kind of work? Honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The principle there is doing work that generates wealth so that you then create wealth to be able to share with others who are in need. Whereas gambling is taking wealth from other people and many of them who are in need. It's the exact opposite of what Paul's calling those who are coming out of a background like gambling to do. And so we have to really think about it. It, it. it very well may be that gambling is an illegitimate way to make money. It's highly likely for those who are regularly participating in gambling and earning money off of that, that that's an illegitimate way in God's, God's eyes to provide for those that are in your family and to earn your money. All right, moving towards conclusions, and we're wrapping up here. Is gambling sinful? This is why you're all here. Is gambling sinful? Well, it's a complicated question. And one more different godly people do have some different convictions, and I want to leave room for that, okay? I read John Frame, and he was in a different place than John Piper. And that was in a different place than Doug Wilson and some other people that I I tend to respect on certain matters. And so we, got, we want to just be careful, okay? Let's not like be like, this is my tribe, I hate you all, right? Okay? But I'm giving you like my counsel for you from the principles that we've walked through in the nature of the gambling industry. I think there are certain aspects of gambling that are definitely sinful, okay? And I want to walk through those for you. Let's look at three different conclusions for three different gambling contexts, all right? The first one is gambling in an open, unknown group. My thought here is playing a slot machine. A slot machine at a casino where the money is being generated by the countless people that come into that casino and pour their money into that place. Or an online app where you're engaging in a certain competition. Uh, Maybe it's the best fantasy line up. For that particular week, you're playing best ball um, and you get a payout if you have the best lineup that scores the most and everybody pays five bucks. You don't know these people, 
There's hundreds or thousands of people involved in this competition. In that kind of a situation, lotteries, casinos, online sports betting, that type of thing, I believe it's sinful. The wider the group of people that participate, the more likely the poor or addicted are being oppressed. The lottery casinos and online sports are, 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 are obvious examples of that. You should not be participating in these types of gambling regardless of your personal sense of freedom. Even if you don't think greed or addiction are at work, your conscience is clean, and you only gamble $5 a year, the industry itself is unworthy of participation. It's an industry of oppression. This category includes but is not limited to playing at casinos, the lottery, sports spending, gambling and fantasy sports. The only thing, friends, that online formats do is they provide secrecy and the avoiding of stigma, right? You don't got to go into the casino, which can kind of feel a little bit seedy. You can actually just bet from your phone, and it actually encourages people to, at their worst moments, as they're laying in bed, about to fall asleep, place wagers that they ought not to place. So online does not change the ethics of the situation. It just changes your sense of shame, okay? So just consider if that type of context, that open, unknown group, is permissible at all before God for you. I would say it's sinful, given the the addictive and unjust nature of the industry itself. Second context, you're gambling in a close group of known friends. Give you an example. Five dollar poker game at a bachelor party with about seven other guys that you've grown up with and known your whole life. Nobody is has a history of gambling addiction. Nobody is destitute and homeless. You're well you know, you're knowing each other really well in that case. If we're considering every possible way that a person can gamble. I don't believe that we can say definitively that every instance is inherently sinful. When you're on in that small group of known friends and you wager a one-time small amount, the situation isn't as clear. You're not engaging in a system that's oppressing the poor in that moment, are you? It's, it's like a small group of known individuals. It's different. So one, you have a pretty good estimation of whether the people engaged in the game are approaching it in greed covetousness, or addiction, especially if you ask them before you play and don't assume. Second, you have a pretty good estimation of whether all can afford it and whether they're being wasteful. This can be a small amount, certainly perhaps not in danger of becoming your livelihood, I hope, $5. Um, But if you play every week, that becomes $260 in the year. It's a bit different. You should really consider if that's wasteful money, right, if you're doing that every week. And if every person who plays is responsibly participating, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not pressing anybody in that. So I think that's a, that's a more um, vague situation. So is it sinful? My answer, perhaps. Maybe. You should talk about people's convictions about gambling before you play. Don't just dive in and, and feel like it's awkward. It's a bachelor party, you know. You want, you want to just consider, because not, people have not thought these things through, and you want to help them. 
You should consider if this is this use of God's money that he's given to you is the best way to honor him. You should question if you can engage in this with thankfulness. You should make sure everyone can truly afford playing. You should do all those things, right? And you should track, after I played, was I more attracted to those advertisements? Did they hook me in ways they didn't before, right? You still need to track your heart and how it is affecting your heart. And I would say, if you have been engaging in mediums like that, maybe it's like a regular poker game type thing, um, and you haven't thought about it, you haven't studied this at all, maybe take a step back for a season, pray about it, look over the material I've, I've uh, put together, and, and really think about it. Like, is this the thing I should be doing regularly, even though it's in this tight-knit group of people? The third and final context I want to consider is gambling in a closed, unknown group. Okay, so this is, you know everybody who's in it, but you don't know them personally. Think of the office pool at work for March Madness, okay? So I, I, when I was a school teacher, every year there was a March Madness pool, and every year I shamelessly was involved. I even won one year. Um, Let's just say your work has 300 employees. Maybe it's a bigger, bigger work. And it's only a once a year event. So you're not likely to like binge in a lifestyle of gambling from participating in that one event. Um, say it's only $5 to participate. There's not like a high amount of money that you are wagering. This is a closed group. So you could in theory know everyone there, but you likely do not. And it will likely be very weird and uncomfortable for you to query people about their finances in that kind of a way, won't it? You should really think about not participating. You don't know everybody involved. I've been actually checked from my own practice in that um, by being a part of this. Since I've stopped working at at school, I no longer have that opportunity. Um, I still do March Madness with no money on the line, you know, just like fun tournaments and things like that. But I've just, I've just been realizing, oh, I was carelessly just participating in things. I didn't realize the story of everybody that was involved in it and how that might be connected into other areas of addiction in their life. Especially when it's 300 people, that's quite a big payout, isn't it? Everybody's participating with $5. That's actually a decent amount that addiction, greed, those kind of instincts can certainly be involved. So is that sinful? It likely is, I think. Um, I don't want to say it definitely is, and I think the size of the group as it gets larger and larger, the less likely you're honoring God by participating in that group. You should strongly consider not being a part of that group um, because of your limited knowledge of the group. And the larger the group, the larger the wager, the less you know the people, the less comfortable you should feel being a part of it. Um, So before jumping to, is this permissible, you should ask, is this the best way to honor God, right? That's the question you should be asked. All right, let me just uh, address some objections I've heard as I was prepping this talk, as I've talked with some of my, my uh, most knucklehead of friends. I've been like, so what, why, why are you okay with doing this kind of thing? Here's some of the things I've heard. And, and let me just counsel you. Like if you're listening to this right now or you're here in this room and you're just like defensive, you're just looking to poke holes. You're like, how can I take down this argument so that I don't have to listen to it? Just check that. That's not a godly instinct. It is godly to not follow what someone says when they're not making sense and when they're not following the word of God. 
So by all means, do not listen if I'm not upholding the word of God. But there's also a proud and lofty, arrogant nature that was behind the Pharisees that made them not able to see the Lord of their lives truth, right? I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying I am. But I'm saying, like, let's be humble and think about these things and not be attacking them just so that we don't have to deal with them. Let's bring them before the Lord and ask him to change us and convict us. So here's the first objection that I have heard. You are being legalistic. We have got to be careful when we allege legalism. Legalism properly defined is lowering God's absolutely righteous standard to a lower, more attainable standard for salvation. This is what the Pharisees were doing in reducing the standard of law to concrete rules and actions and disregarding the heart, right? Please hear me loud and clear. There will be, there will be people in hell who have never gambled. People who resisted engaging in gambling because they saw the danger in it, but who never repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. There is only one way of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Legalism is a serious charge. It is a, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you kind of charge. And I truly hope that that isn't anyone's complaint tonight. But when Christ saves us by grace, he demands that we follow him completely. And we have to submit every aspect of our lives to him in full devotion. The means of salvation is by Christ, but he requires all of us as we follow him. And this is why he addresses us at times and says things like, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus said that. And here, perfect means completely devoted to God, not morally pure. None of us meet that standard, but absolutely devoted and repenting wherever we see sin as we follow him with vigilance. So in the context of loving our enemies, in that case, we have to love others completely without exceptions. The free grace of the gospel must produce in us complete devotion to God in all facets of our life. And that includes our finances, and that includes how we use our finances in entertainment. And what we've been looking at tonight is how Christians must live for God and how we use those finances. And there's no Christian liberty category that we have that is not devoted to him. So I, I just pray that, that that charge of legalism, perhaps we can just throw that one to the side. So what we're not talking about is the way to be saved tonight. We're talking about how to honor God with a life that's been redeemed by his grace. Second objection. Gambling is the same thing as using the stock market. It's true that some kind of investing can look quite similar to gambling, can it? Engaging in buying and trading highly volatile stock is definitely something that Christians should think twice about, given the weighty commands of the Bible that call Christians to be good stewards of their money and the warnings about getting rich quickly, right? Money quickly earned is, is not a good category in the Bible. But the nature of the stock market is fundamentally different than gambling. Okay, this is important. In gambling, you are winning at the detriment of others losing money. It's inherent in the game, in the legal definition that we were looking at today, what we're talking about today. In the stock market, everyone who holds a certain stock benefits when it appreciates. Okay, So the pie chart of money overall grows 
and no one loses money directly from you investing in a stock. Okay, so this, it, yes, do sometimes people make poor decisions on stocks? Do sometimes they sell their stock at the right time, um, and others have, lose money because the stock depreciates? Yes, but it's not as though you all put your money into a pool, played a game of chance, and everyone got the money from everyone's lost money. It's a different ethical situation. Um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be careful, you know, and that there's not ethical issues in the stock market that we would need to address on a different talk. We just can't say that someone who's investing in the stock market is a double standard. It's a different situation. When you invest, everybody who invests benefits instead of one person winning at the loss of everyone else. Objection number three. Everyone who participates in the debt credit system but says gambling is unjust has a double standard. And again, it's true that participating in the credit system has some similarities they're participating in the gambling industry. Like gambling, the credit system disproportionately affects those who are of a lower income bracket. Credit card deals, car loans, and other types of credit exist because many fail to pay them back quickly enough. People spend money that they don't have and get stuck with an ever-appreciating debt. And that's tragic. I wish that it wasn't the system that we have. But gambling is different than the credit system in a couple of important ways. First, you can use, for example, a credit card with little to no risk at all if you are only spending what you actually have in your bank account to spend. There's actually zero risk. You're contractually bound to not have any loss as long as you fulfill your end of the requirement. There's no chance involved in the contract that you're making with the credit card industry, as long as you spend what you have in the, bat, in the bank. Gambling is earning money directly based on someone else's wager. It's like a direct transaction. Whereas credit is taking money that is loaned to you on a contractually defined basis with a company. Also, another way that this is different it is quite easy to avoid participating in the gambling industry. It's not hard, even though it's everywhere in advertisements. It's quite easy. Avoiding the credit system is impossible for most people in our world. It's not the best system, but it is necessary to becoming financially stable in our economy unless you are starting with a trust fund or uh, unusually are successful at making money with some kind of startup, right? You're just a progeny. It's not most of us. In order to buy a home, you almost certainly need a mortgage. In order to get a mortgage, you need an established track record of holding and paying off debt. In order to get the best rates and financial deals, you need a high credit score, which only comes from the accumulation and timely payment of debt. So thus, participating in the debt credit system is not the same as participating in the gambling industry in, in multiple important ways. All right, I'm done. Let me encourage you guys in response to this to pray on this, to really talk to other godly people about this. And let me just remind you, if you have been experiencing gambling, you have been, you have been engaging it and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit tonight, experience the grace of Jesus Christ. There is no sin that can out-sin His mercy. His mercy is more, right? 
And so you can actually have fresh joy and fresh relief and fresh intimacy with Christ tonight by experiencing him draw near to you as you uh, confess your sins to him. Secondly, if you are someone who's thinking of someone else tonight, I really want to help this person with their gambling terrible thing. Uh, be careful. Take days of thinking about this, praying about this, praying for that person before you bring it to them. Don't just drop this in front of them or just send them this lecture, okay? Unless you have a relationship with them where that makes sense. Pastor them. Care for them. Draw them out, right? And, and use these as tools in the conversation, Maybe they're not aware of the exploitative nature of the industry. And you can show them, have you, have you ever looked at what's happening behind the scenes? Maybe they haven't looked at the passages that relate. Have you ever thought about how these relate to it? Okay, Let's have a, a mindset towards one another that's looking to build each other up and not tear each other down. Now, normally we try to end these meetings around 8.30, but since it's all just about 8.30, let's take 15 or 20 minutes or so to just field some questions and process this together. So we'll go a little later than usual, but I promise to have you out of here by 8.45, I wish you could see my notes here. Uh, When I type notes, like just going along, it's regular text. When I type, okay, these are some questions I could ask when I moderate these. It's in all caps. And I've got all caps everywhere. And then they're all like struck out because Leo answered all of the questions as we went. It was just so thorough. Uh, and that last section of objections obliterated my questions. Um, so, but that's good. We, the less time I need to talk, more time you guys can talk. I just have a few, uh, few questions. Uh, so while any of us guys can be uh, – so, sorry, guys – While any of us can be vulnerable to any element of the gambling industry, none of us is above temptation in this area, what do you believe are maybe the greatest dangers to those in our context? Hmm. So perhaps it broadly in Covenant Fellowship Church, in Sovereign Grace Churches, maybe we don't have a casino visiting culture Hmm. largely, Hmm. largely, but where might we be experiencing greater and maybe subtle vulnerability? That'd be interesting to hear. Uh, I think sometimes age demographic plays into it. Like I think a lot of the people my age, it's a lot of fantasy sports intersects with gambling. So I, I love fantasy football. Um, there's no money involved. But then like at the bottom of the app, there's like free $200 to play this game that's also on the same app. And it just feels so easy to make the leap. Um, and then all the sports conversations and the podcasts that I listen to include uh, bits on that. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like younger guys in, in particular are targeted in certain ways. But I'd, I'd be interested, you know, in Prime and things like that if you're noticing that. When he highlighted the age demographic, yeah. he subtly called you old. He did. I mean, you're me so old. Subtle. We're going to go with you. Yeah. You, so you are, you are yeah, my father-in-law. Yeah. You're on my court. Oh, am I? Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we have folks that go to casinos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's how we pronounce it, casino. Casino. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, the, the biggest concern I would have is the addictive aspect of it, which I think is largely hidden and highly destructive, not only because it can 
be packaged with other addictions, but because it can do uh, great harm to finances yeah. and families. And I, I, I think that could come in any form. It could be people who are you know, gambling in various ways. But I think because you can do it kind of off the grid of the church, um, and can do it privately off the grid of the church. I think there are probably people who are struggling with it who nobody knows they're struggling with it. Mm. And uh, it's probably it's probably uh, connected to other addictive tendencies because addiction mm. isn't ultimately an isolated phenomenon. It's a it's a habit of life that can express itself in all ways. Mm-hmm. But I actually have a question here. Are there any subtle dangers of fantasy sports? But you've just answered Yeah, that. I think it's huge. Um, and a lot of the same skills that make you good at fantasy sports make you good at sports betting. Mm-hmm. So there are people that I know who are, like, good at it that don't lose a lot of money off of it because they're so tuned into the game. And, and you know, gambling is the house always wins, ultimately. That's why it's such a big revenue maker. But there are certain types of games where the winning is at higher odds, right, than others. Um, and so uh, there, there are many people that actually have, you know, whole uh, careers based off of betting off of, for instance, college football because the odds are much more consistent in college sports than they are in professional. So anyways, I think that there is a particular danger there because fantasy sports are awesome and fun. Uh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, people that here have questions. We're gonna we're gonna throw we're gonna let them I ask questions. Ask my questions. Well, you go ahead and ask your okay. question. They're all my, their interests. My question are is: right gambling now. if it's non-monetary? Mm. So there's a guy, sports radio guy, who when the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, said if they win, I will get a tattoo of Nick Foles on my back. Quarterback, you don't know. And so he had. So that's gambling, and he's got a permanent tattoo of a retired football player on his back. In your mind, would you call that gambling? It was a cost. I think I'd just call that stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. <laughs> yeah. That's just a bad marital decision. Well, well, there's, there's no have, the poor are being oppressed, but his wife who, is. Who, who will do that, they'll bet, oh, you know, if I yeah, do Yeah, prop bets, the, the yeah. different things. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think it, possessions and money. Uh, both essentially are doing the same thing. I think in that scenario, you don't have a bunch of people all saying, yeah. you know, we're wagering something. It's just one particularly, you know, not so smart guy yeah. <laughs> risking something to himself to prove his fandom, right? So that's just a bit different. But when you have, you know, guys, I don't know, paying for trips or things like that, or, you know, uh, I think possessions could be a part of it as well. And, you know, people do jewelry and, Things like that. So it just has to be valuable, essentially. All right, I'm just going to ask one more question, and then any questions from you. Uh, Andy, you had shared the concern that it's so private and off the grid, it's often difficult to help somebody stop who doesn't want to. Mm. Okay? It's just difficult to catch them in it or to see the sin because it's so secret. But what about the person listening to this who wants to stop, mm. what role can community play in helping that person take steps toward freedom mm. in this? Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the first thing is, is coming into light, mm. you know, sharing it with somebody. Mm-hmm. I struggle with this. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and then seeking help 
for it. One of the things Leo did tonight, which I think is really good, and I think it's necessary, I think for any kind of addiction, is to, is to think enough about it to really understand. Because in order to pursue any kind of addictive tendency, you have to self-blind. To to, uh, to to and and eventually that's what's happening. You're actually actively self-blinding yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> so it isn't just I need to stop, but I need to do some of what Leo is saying is I need to think about this differently. This is not and one of the biggest c- components of that is when I gamble. Not only am I am I, am I disobeying the Lord and and not living by faith, I'm also not loving my neighbor, and so I can't treat it as a, as a private thing. Others suffer by my participation. Mm-hmm. I think that starts to get some conscience grip because you, a lot of times your conscience really isn't functioning, and you need your conscience functioning in in faith, working itself out through love, for yeah, any great. kind of traction in an addiction. That's great. There's also yeah. There's so celebrate recovery is a ministry we have here every Thursday night. I think it meets starting soon. Um. And I talked to one of the brothers who's heavily involved in that, and he was telling me that, you know, only like a, a, a percentage of the Celebrate Recovery is like drugs addiction. A number of guys, it's, you know, pornographic, you know, addiction. It's alcoholic addiction. There's a whole number of different types of addictions that people are trying to get free from in that context as they celebrate the gospel and its power together. And so that would be a great context for somebody who finds them stuck and needing to walk it out in community with others that have walked that road. Good. All right, y'all. Any questions? I'm guessing you might have one in the back. <laughs> yeah, thank you for doing that. Let, for the benefit of the recording, I'm not going to repeat everything you just said, but for the benefit of the recording, someone was someone was just sharing a personal testimony of their problem with gambling, but pointing out the uh, the, the problem of, of wasting so much time investing so much time in in screens that uh, and the addictive nature of that and how much overlap there is with this issue. Uh, so let, let me say this first of all. Uh, kudos to your pastor. That's right. For loving you enough and tracking this to send you here. So thank you for coming. And we praise God for your courage to share this here and for your willingness to, to realize this is a problem that the Lord wants to free That's you from. That's right. That's right. So there's so much grace Amen. in what you shared. Amen. Uh, now to the substance of what you shared, if you don't mind, I'll just speak first. And well, let me, I just want to commend on one thing, too. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Just as an evidence for your own heart that God is at work, um, we gamble our resources, uh, our, our stuff. That's all replaceable. But... Our time is never replaceable. That's the loss. Yeah, and I, and I think that's where I can tell the Spirit of God is at work. Because, because I think it's, you don't, people don't think that because they think they have all the time in the world. And you're actually, I think you're, you're responding to the Lord to say it's not, it's not just about money. Mm-hmm. It's about my time and my mm-hmm. life and lost potential for what I can do for you, Lord. I, I would encourage you to say, Lord, that's a gift from you that you're, and give attention there. Um, I think that's where the Lord works because our time is really what we can't get back. 
-hmm. And as long as you're focused there, we all know what wasted time is. But that's a real indication of the Spirit of God at work. Yes, good. Amen. Amen. Now, Leo did mention on the the subject of the time, uh, the social dilemma, which, again, with discernment, not totally endorsing 100% of it, it's certainly a worthy exploration of what uh, these screen designers are doing to tap into the the same addictive tendencies that gambling will tap into. Uh, And so even if money is not at stake and it may not fit the oppressive system of some of how we've defined it tonight, some of the heart issues are very, very similar when we're talking about gambling or we're talking about so much wasted time on screens. Did you want to say anything more about that? I'm just affected by your courage and by how it's very clear that you want others to be helped. Um, And that just gives me a lot of faith for how God's going to use your story, sister. I just want to encourage you to keep walking. And, uh, and, And to like... If you don't have a group of people that are uh, that have gone through addiction before, you know, who are either in that battle or whatnot, um, to find a group like that, even if it's not a gambling specific group, um, yeah, so that you can get that type of intimate help that you yeah. that you need. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm really grateful that you came tonight. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? A question of any nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, let me repeat the question. Uh, the, the question uh, focused ultimately in on things like raffles or 50-50 kind of things that in, within like fire departments or state fairs or this kind of thing. Uh, the question is, how does that fit into uh, the, the, the descriptions or the categories that have been laid out tonight? It's a great question, man. Glad you brought it. Um, I think some raffles can be fundraisers. Um, of a, of a menial amount, say for T-ball or something like that. I don't know why T-ball keeps coming up a lot tonight, but that's, that's been my experience with it. And I think Christians will have different convictions on whether they should participate in that. And one of the things to track is how much is this being driven by a motivation of greed, of some kind of like a payout for something, or how much is this just being given essentially to make this thing happen? And maybe there's like a little like trinket or something like that that's essentially like a plaque that isn't worth anything that the person's winning, but it's really more about just raising money for the, the thing. I think that's a different situation. But then I think when it's, you know, big payouts and things like that, uh, large buy-ins, I think it, the larger that the group becomes, the larger the wager becomes, the more you shouldn't be involved in it. I'll give you an example, though, of how slippery that slope can be. I was, I was just at a family vacation up in the Poconos, and they have this annual night that's like a horse racing night, but it's not with real horses. They have like like little heads of wooden horses, and they just have like a a, a, a random like bingo type dice uh, roller. I don't know what those things are called, but then a, a random number comes out at the bottom, and so whatever horse's number comes out, it advances. And it is like the place is going insane over these horses. And I, I'm like, my, 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 my friend gives all the, the, the kids like a dollar to participate. And I'm like thinking like, is this okay? You know, and I'm like, I kind of didn't say anything. My kid goes up and does it. They lose and it's like totally fine. But then like one of the kids wins and you see them like, whoa, 
I just got like $20 off this $1. And they went back and they did it again. And they lost. And they were so angry the entire night. And then I walked by and a woman was like, I'm putting 500 on five. And I started realizing like this is a legit like gambling situation. And I saw the effect on the kids too. And it made me just aware like greed and covetousness and all these vices is what's driving this whole thing. So I think you want to track like what's driving the thing, how big is the wager, um, how, how well do you know the group, all those kind of things. Yeah, that's right. That's a good, that's a great point. Just, just, just give it, yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to go about it. So the question is, how can we call the gambling industry inherently oppressive if if those who are involved in it are they're not being forced to do that at gunpoint? They're making free adult choices to do it. Uh, if, if they've been willing to lose that money, then isn't it viable mm-hmm. uh, to make it you know okay to win it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I think. Part of what we're trying to do tonight is how, how, how do we as believers think about it and engage it? We ultimately, the, the list of worldly things that are problems in our culture uh, that we have to interact with in some way is massive. Yeah. This is one of those. I think the question is how do we relate to it so we're consistent with our own convictions and our own witness? I think about it like this. Um, there, there are two types of idols. There's what you might call heart idols, which is our own desire. But there's also cultural idols, things that, a cult, that define a culture. And as Christians, we have to be attentive to our own idols and also to cultural idols. And one of the ways you... The hard thing about living in a culture is you don't always see your own idols. So if you go to another culture, let's say you go to a culture where there's a where it's Hindu or it's a, 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 an entirely different religion and you watch what they practice and you think, that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. That's because you haven't been enculturated there. But the, the, the nature of gambling in our culture is a cultural idol that as Christians, I think we need to do what Leo's calling us to do, is step back, think like disciples, and then think about the situation which causes us to sometimes say, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to have a strong perspective either because I have my own idols are weak in this area. But I think thinking about it as this may be a situation where there's a cultural idol at work that I've just got to basically have a whole different perspective on if I'm going to be a faithful witness mm-hmm. to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, you know, Paul talks about, it before, I won't go there, in, uh, in Ephesians 4, um, after what Leo read, um, where he talks about the way the Gentiles walk. You, you, your former manner of life, how you would live in this culture if not for Jesus. Don't live that way. Put that off. Renew your mind and live according to Christ. I think th- what Leo's done tonight is, is given us a bit of, a tr- of an equipping for how to apply Ephesians 4. Put off the old man. Renew your mind, put on the new man, and then engage whatever those cultural idols are. Uh, just a thought on the question. Um, that's great, Andy. And I think that is the level we want to look at most, right, um, is the, the level of idolatry in our, 
our hearts. But I do think one of the things that we are not as good at in Western culture is communal mindset. We're individualistic as a culture, right? And philosophers will say that about us, right? Um, and so inherent is that is a failure to see yourself as your brother's keeper, right? And so we can be like, well, if they're an idiot, that's not on me. And there's something about that that's a bit at odds with the heart impulse of our Savior, right? And like there's, so even though, yes, like if someone destroys their life, ultimately they're accountable before God for it. But there's something about as much as we can within our lives, doing what we can to prevent that, to care about how people are destroying their lives, right? Um, and, and I do think that this is a category where some will be like, have the same category of boycotting certain companies that are doing unjust practices, right? And then they keep boycotting to the point where like they can't buy groceries anymore, and like they can't go about their lives anymore. And so there is a point in which for like as much as we care and we fight to try to protect those people, there is a practical reality where we have to live in the world that we're in. Um, however, I think ga- gambling is not one of those things. I think it's a thing that's easily not a part of our lives and that we can protect the poor people that are being, you know, marginalized by this and the people who are rich too, who are just, you know, flirting with disaster um, by not seeking to be a part of it. Yeah, and maybe lastly on that question, and then I'll bring us to a close, is uh, there's there's a, a lot of wickedness that happens under the banner of consensual adults. Yeah, oh, that's good. That we, we shouldn't somehow use the consensual nature of participation as yeah. our get-out-of-jail-free card. That's good. We have to engage the actual nature of the behavior biblically rather than the consensual nature of people who happen to be 18 or older. That's really good. All right, gang, if you did have a question, didn't want to ask it in front of others or just you you ran out of time, uh, we'll be available here for a few more minutes. Uh, Thank you for coming out. Uh, Maybe if if you were here and you are really thinking about that other person in your life uh, who is struggling with this, let me just encourage you to follow Leo's counsel. Give it some, pray about it. Listen to this again. It should be posted by the end of the week um, up online. Uh, Listen to it again. Process it again. Tend to your own heart. Uh, Be willing to deal with your own uh, choices. Uh, And then just pray, Lord, with all of this wealth of knowledge and information that we were given, how can I best help this person. And it may not be directly with the outline or the hour and 15 minute talk. It may be, you know, just sharing a a question. One of the questions that Leo posed and starting there, but follow the leading of the spirit as you seek to help that brother or sister. All right, let me pray. Father, ultimately for all of these topics we cover in this context, uh, we want you to be glorified in our lives and through our lives. Lord, you've used Leo in accordance with our prayers tonight and created a rich deposit in our lives. Now, give us your spirit in personal and powerful ways that we would steward what has now been entrusted to us. 
for your glory and for the good of your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, gang. Have a great night.